Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to our founding documents. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness. Ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and happy Independence Day. This is obviously a big day for us always, July 4th in the year 2022, as we reflect on the founding of this nation and all that was sacrificed to bring us to this point. And in this particular year, is probably more than ever, we're very much focused on the future of our nation, as we have witnessed in the last two years, the stealing of the election, as we've reflected deeply and begin to understand the depth of the corruption in our nation, in our government that has now become a tyranny, and in the election process itself that has taken away the very foundation of which this nation is built, which is a government representative of the people by the people. So these are times to think and ponder deeply, as I hope that everybody has had a a good time and an opportunity this weekend to share with friends and family. But it's also something to keep in mind that as we become aware of the depth of the corruption that we're facing, we gain the ability to change. And there's a lot in that, which is more than just our documents and more than just truth. We're going to have to reflect very deeply as a nation on what we have become. Patriots, before we begin tonight, I'd like to play the Star Spangled Banner and just have this as a reflective moment and a quiet moment for all of those that have sacrificed everything for this nation and what it represents to be an American. That's a song that, um, an anthem, a symbol of so many things in our nation. And whether or not a person knows the words, they definitely know the melody. And in this time when we've had such corruption in the very basis of what this nation was intended to be, taught to our children, indoctrinated into schools, it's a hard moment for many of us as we reflect deeply on what the nation is in, was inspired to be and the bowels of what it has become. One of the biggest challenges we are going to face as a nation is the principle of codependence. 
because we have given up much of our freedoms by acquiescing to what a small minority has demanded that we do. Our founding fathers were bold. They were courageous. They stood up to the king, and they knew when they signed that declaration that they were signing their lives away, ending the Declaration of Independence with the famous line, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That today is a lot of talk, but we need to see more action as a nation to take this back. And this is really a moment in time when we are, as a people are going to decide going forward whether we will retain this nation or not. I have full confidence that the majority of people will, but nonetheless, it is going to take that grit, that patriot spirit, that raucousan attitude of noncompliance and nonconformists to be able to rise up once again. The challenges that we have today are rooted in the principles very much of being afraid to offend people and people being too easily hurt. So much of our societies has become one that is, has a fear of losing something they think they have, the fear of not getting something that they want or think they deserve, and the fear of not being liked, driven by a loneliness and a rupture of the family which begins at birth. There is an article that was posted in Zero Hedge, and I'm going to read some of this here, and it's called An American Declination of Codependence. This is actually a reprint of a speech that was given on July 3rd in 2021 on the Red, White, and Blue Tour in Sturgis, South Dakota. What caught my attention were the aspects of the declaration that were rewritten onto a modern perspective of what our challenges are and what it will take to reset. If you remember in the Declaration of Independence, as it reads, there is a list that they were given to the king of everything that was wrong if they had tried to correct. This particular list is not has been redone, I should say. And this list was redone for the sake of the article to make a point of our real challenge. So allow me to read these. Therefore, we are resolved that from this moment forward in declining our codependence on those who do not hold to our truths, that we shall break loose from a self-fitted chains and shackles of political correctness. Take back our language. No longer will we surrender words and phrases with our language to others. We will use the words we choose regardless of their contemporary characterization or classification by others. Not be made to condemn or apologize for the actions of others. Likewise, we will not be made to applaud or affirm the behavior of others. We will apologize only for our own actions when we feel it appropriate, and we will salute others only when we are personally so moved. Never deny our friendships or turn our backs on those of us who are being attacked by others simply because it is easier, convenient, or avoids confrontation. In accordance with the above, we will not hesitate to intervene in a situationally appropriate matter when we see one of our fellow citizens coming under attack. To turn away is to become complicit. Let, us, let those around us know that when they attack any one of us, they attack all of us. We will not tolerate the phrase, but I, did, I didn't mean you. Embrace the classical notions of being masculine and feminine whenever and whoever, however we choose, and we shall not make excuses or issue apologies for so doing. Be skeptics at every turn when someone claims to be an expert, an authority, or a follower of science. Not allow ourselves ever to use the excuse, I am just following orders, to serve as a reason for engaging in or helping to silence or harm our fellow citizens. Not engage in defending ourselves when we are called racist, when we are called homophobic, when we are called privileged, when we are called xenophobic, or when we are labeled by anyone other than ourselves. We will not respond by giving examples of people 
we know or things that we have done to prove what we are and what we are not. We do not need to justify ourselves or disprove baseless accusations to others. We simply respond, your words, not mine. Embrace our faith in God if we possess such faith without reservation. We may wear it on our sleeves. We may keep it to ourselves. We may display our faith however we so choose. And we will not deny the existence or importance of our faith for the sake of providing false comfort to others. Refuse to acknowledge the need for and legitimacy of safe spaces and microaggressions simply because someone else decides that they are threatened or offended will not be a reason for us to question our beliefs, our words, or our actions. Call lies by their proper name, which is lies. Not give the benefit of the doubt to those who seek to silence us or control us by presuming that, the, that they are of good intentions. We will take them at their word and assume that they mean and intend exactly what they say. Take great care in using terms such as courage and bravery, understanding that those terms have become corrupted in their use to signify simple acts of hate and defiance. We know true courage and bravery when we see it, and we will not lose sight of it either. Be unwavering and undeterred in proclaiming that the interests of American companies, workers, and citizens must be placed above all other interests when it comes to matters of policy. Look directly at God, ourselves, and other human beings every single day and say these words out loud, I know who I am. This is a very interesting perspective when we take a look at where we have fallen in this nation because these principal issues were not at stake when this nation was founded. Our country was stronger. Our country was more resolute. I read this piece today, and I'm going to read it again now. And this is a perspective on what life was like in 1775 in a household, keeping in mind that at this point in time in 1775, the fighting had already broke out. The Battle of Lexington and Concord had just happened. British troops now have moved into Boston. There was 8,000 troops stationed in Boston. That was one soldier for every two people. And the edicts were in place now that people had to mandatorily house British troops if they were so directed. British troops could occupy a house. They could direct the, the doings of the house. Soldiers were known to have raped people in the house or worse. And the homeowners had no recourse because the military was in control. So this is a moment in time here to give you an idea what daily life was like in the household of the common man. And it begins, it is dark when Jonathan's mother calls him and he is forced to leave the warmth of his bed. Downstairs, pleasant noises come from the kitchen as his mother prepares breakfast. There will be Johnny Cake, also known as cornbread, a hot cereal called mush, and fresh milk. It is the start of another day. Jonathan lives in New York, New Hampshire, a colony settled only three years after the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. When Jonathan finishes dressing, he hurries down to the kitchen. The wood in the fireplace is giving off a good amount of heat, and the delicious aroma of cooking fills the small kitchen. Johnny Cake sits on a clean wood board before the fire. A kettle of mush bubbles and hisses. Jonathan has three younger sisters. His sister Elizabeth dresses the younger children in the corner of the room. When his father comes in from the barn, the family gathers around the plank table. After a blessing, the parents and the children eat and talk of the day's assignments. Elizabeth will work on a spinning wheel, while Jonathan will carve new rake handles with his knife. Then both of them will walk to Mistress Robin's house for their daily lessons. The younger children will remain at home. In 1775, many towns in New England closed their schools for the duration of the war. Jonathan and his sister attended a dame school for the time, for the time being. These are schools run at home by older women in the community. Mistress Robin's only has only rough slabs for seats. The younger pupils are taught 
how to read and sound out alphabet letters. Older ones memorize passages from the Old Testament. Everyone, including the boys, learn how to sew and knit. On a warming spring day, three little girls sit in the music room of their North Carolina plantation home. One is playing the keyboard instrumental, similar to a piano. Another is playing the harp, while the third plays a flute. When they finish with their music, the girls ascend to a wide staircase in the upstairs room, which serves as a schoolroom. In the schoolroom, children from neighboring plantations join the girls. Several planters in the area get together and hired a teacher for the children. The girls are taught reading, writing, and fine stitching. The boys are taught reading, writing, and bookkeeping. Their lessons last only an hour. There are few teachers in the southern colonies, so these children are fortunate to have a classroom. Many southern children have only field schools to attend. Those of our informal, infrequent lessons taught at the open fields by some interested adult. Before and after school, children have chores, lots of them. Play was a luxury as there was much to do to survive in the early days. Today, that idea is completely lost, and yet it was what made that stalwart-type patriot of our nation, getting our hands dirty from a young age, the requirement of chores around the house. This is the foundation of what our country was. And quite frankly, it's where our country has to return if we're going to have be successful. The temptations of technology have been the temptations of convenience, and with convenience comes the fall of society. People want to do less work and have more time, leisure to do whatever they do. And with that, one of the most important foundations of our nation, which is faith, gets pushed aside. Our country was a strong country of faith. Founded by the pilgrims and all that followed, faith was central to everything that we did. Faith was central at every meal. Faith was central in the household. And our founding fathers, some pastors, all influenced by the church, were deep scholars of faith. Imagine that by the age of 70, an average man or woman who had attended church in the colonies would have had 7,000 hours of sermons. Their knowledge of scripture was far beyond anything we see today, even beyond seminary, because it wasn't just scripture. They were taught in the areas of theological and natural law. They had a foundation of how God intended land to work and a relationship that way. They had developed a big distrust of government, and rightfully so. They had seen how it was running, and that's why they escaped to the colonies. They had learned about self-governance. Some things worked, some things didn't, but they were constantly working to improve that relationship. The connection between those that ruled them and those in the communities was tight, and communities themselves were tight. We have seen a distancing from those fundamental principles, which at the same time, we've seen a distancing from our founding documents. So today, when we look over the Declaration of Independence and we focus heavily on the beginning of that document, it's important to put all that in context to understand where these people were at. Our founding fathers, our ancestors, our, the colonialists that set up this country endured heavy hardships. So it was a big issue to come to the point when they were literally making a stand against England to say, we no longer want to be part of you. They knew the cost. They knew the cost that they would be severing relationships to do that. They knew the cost that they may never hear from their own brethren again because it was a divisive, a very divisive act. Those back in, in England and even those in Europe didn't understand the relationship of where the colony was at. It was a different world. They referred to it as a new world. In fact, it was. It was a new experiment. And the most profound experiment of all, which established that God was on the throne above this nation, that people had the right to choose their government, their way they were governed. And God was sub, or government was subject to the will of the people. Let me read the little bit of the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them 
with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for the future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And from there they list in detail the many things that have happened in the attempts to bring resolution that had failed. I'm going to read these. Referring to the king, he has refused his assent of laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and then so suspended that he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing the many firm, firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to present he has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for the purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the admiration of justice by refusing his assent of laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount of payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent, their, sent hither swarms of officers to harass other people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to the jurisdiction of foreigner, foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, 
giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade in all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases all the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretend offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging the boundaries so as to render it once an example and fit instruments for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our peoples. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun by the circumstances of cruelty and profidity scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous age and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taking captive in high seas to bear arms against the country, to become executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves in their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on inhabitants of our frontiers merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguishable destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of free people. The amazing thing about this declaration is that many of the things that are referred to in these details of abuses are happening again today. Tyranny is very consistent. It's very predictable. Tyranny repeats itself. The problem is we don't learn our own histories and we don't value history, but our founding fathers did. Reading through the Federalist Papers, one becomes amazed at just the depth of history that our founding fathers had of prior civilizations, of governance, of the way rules of law worked, of the way whole political institutions worked. Greek and before, Roman and even modern times at that point of the, of the histories of the current rulership in Europe were all prevalent in our founding fathers' knowledge base. And most importantly, they were obviously aware in the colonies because these documents were posted for all to read. Remember, they didn't have internet and they hardly had mail. So these things were often published on broadsheets and then posted in the public square where people would get together and read them together to see what was being printed. Paper was expensive and scarce. Printing was expensive. So this is a rather amazing insight into what we had as colonies. They will try to tell you in our histories that the colonists weren't well-educated. We know better. Because they were being educated through one of the most fundamental ways, which was the study of Scripture. They were being educated with the ways to think through Scripture, to put a lens on this world through the eyes of God. And that is what shaped our nation. And that legacy still is with us today, but it has been so deeply corrupted and pulled from us that now it's going to take a remnant with a commitment to understand the legacies of what our founding fathers gave, the commitment to continue to grow and educate themselves, and to now return a nation back to the center point where God once again reigns above all. That's what's before us now. That is the place where we all sit 
to ask the question of, are we willing to sacrifice everything for that cause? I'm going to complete the last two paragraphs of the declaration. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by the legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the recititude of our intentions, do in the name and the by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that a free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace and contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Most of those signed on this document ended up bankrupt or dead. It was a profound statement. In fact, the Declaration of Independence was so dangerous as a document within the British colonies if people of other parts of the colonial empire were found carrying a copy that was punishable by death. The Declaration of Independence to me is the primary and most important document we have in our nation. You will hear arguments to suggest that the document wasn't part of the United States because the formal construct of the United States as we know it didn't occur until the Constitution was established as the Constitution of the United States. But in fact, the Continental Congress approved this document, and it was the ruling body of the colonies at the time. It is therefore the founding document for this nation, and an important one. And it is bold. And as we read through this document, it's essential to understand if you are understanding what they are writing, we ourselves have lived through a similar time. But the difference being that those who are ruling us in tyranny are not across an ocean, but they're right here in our communities and right here in our government today. What we have been through in the last two years in particular has been an example of what tyranny does and how it grows. Sadly, most people that have participated in this mask and COVID nonsense, who have been swept up with the fears of the end of the world through climate change, and the whole concepts of progressive unity, have never taken time to read our founding documents to understand what our true values were as a nation. They've been told what these documents are like. They have been framed around an idea that the founding fathers were somehow abhorrent because they had slaves or they had other things. There's no question that existed, but it didn't change the nature of what the documents were trying to achieve. The Declaration of Independence is profound in so many ways because it establishes the structure of a government, which the Constitution then later detailed. And even when the Constitution was detailed, it took quite some time before the Bill of Rights were brought on board. The Bill of Rights, the Constitution without the Bill of Rights, 
is weak. And it's essential that we understand these documents in their entirety. We have to spend time reading these, getting to know these, being familiar with this, understanding the political basis to really understand that they, these colonists did everything they could to pursue a legal resolution before they sought a, a resolution through war. In fact, war was not in their desire. So by the time that this was signed, other things were happening. George Washington, who had fought in the French-Indian Wars, was now raising up the new American army as British troops were flooding in, as British were bringing in the mercenaries from Germany. The squeeze was beginning to happen. Colonists were still trying to go on their normal day. There wasn't fighting everywhere, but there was a very big threat, very similar today, of not knowing whose door would be knocked in and who would be arrested for some particular act of speaking out, of making a statement that was against the ruling elite. Today, our powers that are against us are as distant as the powers of the king then. Yet our colonists had the spirit of fight. They understood that it was going to be difficult, and they believed that they could win. Today, we hear the, the clamoring of people giving up, feeling that it's too big, that it's, it's, everything is going wrong. And yet we're still living very comfortably. We still have our internet. We still have food in the grocery stores. We haven't had the government yet burning houses down. We haven't had people drug out of their homes and hung in the front yard like the British did. We haven't had troops occupying homes to live in and then raping the daughter or raping the wife, and then not being charged because the magistrate was under the British control. We haven't had hundreds of patriots rounded up and put off on ships off, off the coast to be starved to death and put into the underdeck where they were exposed to dysentery and various other Ill ailments and then die. Things are different. And because of, in my opinion, because of the lack of brutal tyranny in everybody's face, it has become very complacent. There's a belief that somehow this is just going to blow over. We are at a juncture right now. We are at the valley of decision. And we need to make a decision as a nation, as patriots, if these documents are worth preserving. Are we willing to sign our names to a document with the true intent of what, these, what our founding fathers said? That we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor? Because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take that sort of commitment to bring this country back because it's a resolve that we approach. This government with, it's a resolve that we stand boldly in front of this unbelievable evil. And we proclaim that under no circumstances we will we give in. When we make that level of commitment, when we can ourselves be willing to sign our names, knowing that the minute that we do, we are now considered an enemy of this, of this particular state, that's the resolve that leads us back. And of course, the fundamental place we start is on the rock of faith and our relationship with God through our Savior, Christ Jesus. That has been always there from this nation because it was the pulpit that brought us to this document. It was the firebrand of preachers that understood that there came such a time that prayers were not enough, that while prayers were the fabric and foundation of everything that we do, the trust in God also meant that at times it was necessary to be prepared to raise the sword of steel in the face of absolute evil that was going to steal away everything that we had fought for or lived for. Between the starting of this nation and now, we have lost hundreds of thousands of young men and women, lives given to wars that we did not want, but nonetheless they were given in the heart and the spirit of what the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence wanted and asked us to be. And they believed in it. They fought for it. What 
these ruling elites want to do is to erase all of that, expunge it, blame it on other things and other people, talk about the evils of all of, of what war is while they wage war on us. And sadly, there's been way too much willingness to develop an attitude of codependence and back down to let them coexist with us, with them and their noise overruling the very way in which our country was intended to operate. We are not a democracy. We are a representative republic. And it was done so intentionally to give a fair and equal shake for everybody in this nation, no matter the size of the city or town that you lived in. Our Constitution is the fabric of everything we are. Our Declaration of Independence is the spirit. It establishes the moral law which our country works under. And yet we've allowed the other side to strip away God from our classroom, God from our government, God from every aspect of our lives. And we have gone along. If we are going to take this nation back, today has to mark a turn, a change in attitude, that we will give no more ground, that we will literally raise the black flag and not give any more quarter. What we represent in this nation is what this world needs. We are literally the lamp of the city on the hill. We give hope to so many. But that's exactly why we are the biggest threat. This is why they want the rest of the world to witness our demise. They want to demonstrate to the world how weak we are. They want to demonstrate to the world how they can slowly and effectively lead us down the path to poison us, to have our children mutilated, to have us give away our children to the indoctrination camps, to see the rise of a pedophile class. They want the world to witness this so they can demoralize us to such a degree that we will never rise again. And the world will never trust us again. On my watch, I will never give in to that. No matter whether it's one more other than me, myself, a, a field of 100, 300, 3,000, 3 million, whatever that number is. That is never an attitude I will take. We are Americans. We have led the way. We've had our brilliant moments. We've had our difficult moments. But right now we are in a rebirth, a reawakening, a learning again of who we are, a deep and powerful spirit of defiance. And it's with that spirit we will take this country back, boldly, ferociously, and uncompromisingly. Because without these documents, we're just another spot in history. But with these documents and with a Bible in hand, we become truly a benchmark in human existence. It's unlike anything that's ever been done to truly give the power to the people to develop governance in such a way as to lead the world with God on the throne above us. So on this Independence Day, let us remember all that's been sacrificed for us to be here and all that's at stake if we don't continue that fight. And on this Independence Day, let us pray. Father, we come to you today very humbled, sitting here re reflecting on all that has come to pass in our nation, a time of amazing spirit and courage that founded this nation, hundreds of thousands of lives that have suffered death for the aspects of this nation, often too many manipulated in wars that we should have never been part of, but the spirit and courage of those to sacrifice for a nation can never be forgotten. Father, we come today praying for the many now that are sitting on this moment in time, a historical moment, 256 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, a moment in time where we are witnessing and seeing before us the potential demise of an entire nation knowing in our hearts that we now have a choice. A choice to pursue the recovery and restoration of this republic with you on the throne or a choice to acquiesce to the threat and fear of a minority few that seek to put their thumb on us and keep us enslaved forever. Father, our prayers today are for the strength of the warrior, the strength of the warrior heart, 
to stand boldly in this time, to be courageous in this time, and to never back down. Father, we pray for that encouragement, that reminder that you're there with us, and you have given us so much in these past two weeks gifts and powers of, of change that we never thought possible, and yet they are here and they are done. So now, once again, the responsibility rests with us to continue this fight and to preserve the victories which you gave us. So, Father, in the words of John Paul Jones, I have not yet begun to fight. Let those words ring strong through everyone's hearts to stand boldly in this time to be relentless in our pursuit of truth and to remember in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Bless us and guide us and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So patriots, I wish you all a very blessed rest of Independence Day. I hope you had a wonderful time with family. Time to reflect. I encourage you all to join in on what we're going to be we're encouraging all to do in the next three days to pursue a fast. If you choose, so choose to do so, fantastic. But this is in honor of all that has been given. Today is celebration. The next three days we'll be leading a fast in thanks for all that God has given. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. Our prayers are essential right now. Prayers for strength and focus, eyes to see and ears to hear. God is with us and he'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, This country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, 
Ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.